love my kids. I love them a lot. And I was talking to someone yesterday, a fellow pastor, and he was talking to me about a boy that was heading the wrong direction in his life. And he said, you know, that guy's dad's a Christian. He's, he tells me all the time, my dad's never said he loves me. I said, man, wow. Sometimes I feel like I, I just tell my kids that too much. And then I hear things like that and I say, nope, I haven't. i got to keep doing that. Love my kids. I'm proud of them. They're precious to me. They are special to me. And so I, I, I think about my daughters and they're teenagers now. And I know that someday uh, uh, some boys might like to come their way and uh, ask them out on a date. I'm not ready for that. I've told my girls and all their friends, I've said, I said, hey, girls, until you're 18, here's your model. Boys are bad. Just love dad. Right? That's it. And I've heard these stories about, about dads that, you know, when the boy comes to the, to the over to pick her daughter up on a date, they sit there uh, with a shotgun in their lap. And they say, all right, okay, it makes sense, but I'm not like that. But I've got another plan, and I think about this plan often. I think these girls are very, very, very precious to me. I work hard to make sure that they're taken care of. Go at making sure they're in church is important. Making sure they go to school is important. That they're healthy and well taken care of. And they, they just, they're so special to me. I, ro- I brought, drove one of them to school, the church this morning. We had a nice chat. Took one of them to the grocery store and had, had just have that dad-daughter time. My girls are special to me. And so I've got a plan. And my plan is like this. Young man, you'd like to take my daughter out on a date? You need to realize how special these girls are to me. I have a standard for the guys that take my daughters out on a date. I think that every man should be very well versed in working on three things in their life, their head, their hands, and their heart. And so I I plan on bringing them into my house, but I'm not going to have a shotgun. I'm going to say, are you prepared? Do you meet the standard to date my daughter? And I said, are you working on your head? And I'm going to provide them with a a calculus book. I'm going to say, when you finish every problem in this book, you'll be ready to date my daughter. I'm going to say, your heart is something else that needs to be prepared. Here's the Bible. If you've read that this year, then you're ready to date my daughter. And I say, your hands, it's the third thing you need to be working on. I feel it's important that my daughters have a strong man. I say, I exercise every morning. I lift weights. I bench press 325 pounds every three days. When you can bench press 300 pounds, then you can date my daughter. I tell the boys at school this. Not a one of them has asked me if they can date my daughter. I don't get it. I don't get it. And um, 
<laughs> I'm serious. I do this. I've said this to the kid, to the boys at school, and and they they say, Mr. Wilson, we're not we're not looking in your daughter's direction. I promise. <laughs> but really, if if we're being honest, um, when it comes down to it, there's one thing I I, I genuinely genuinely care about and that's that boy's relationship with Jesus Christ and I get to John chapter 5 a passage that we started looking at last week and in verse 8 Jesus says to the man that has been lame for 38 years He says to him in verse 8 of John chapter 5, he says, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they said to him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made them well. As I look at this passage here, and as we read it, I'd like us to, to first look and see what happened. Excuse me, I have my notes from last week up there too. It says immediately he took up his bed and walked. And I love, I love the way when Jesus does something, he does it promptly and he does it immediately. And, and in this case, the guy just stands right up and walks. I would love to have seen what that looks like. It, it would have blown my mind to see this person whose muscles had atrophied and had been laying there for years to just stand up and walk. And it says there immediately he took up his bed and walked. And then I see that immediately this caused a controversy. There's something I said a few weeks ago that I'd like you to remember is that there are seven miracles of Jesus Christ in this book. Seven signs that are used directly to point to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord God. And each one of those seven signs, they increase in magnitude. Each one gets a little bit more grand in, in how it occurs. And I think about it, water turning into wine, really as, okay, I, could, I couldn't do any of these miracles. But if I were to compare and contrast them, water turning into wine would, in my opinion, and a lot of other people's opinion, be kind of below healing of the nobleman's son. 
And then it gets a little bit more difficult, grand. And again, I, without any power of God, I can't turn water into wine. I can't heal an old man's son. I can't heal a lame man. It's not in my natural abilities. In no one's at, at natural abilities. Those only can happen by the power of God. And each one gets a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger until you get to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The one that changed the world. Each one gets a little bit more public. The first one, the water and the wine. We have, we have uh, this only, we read in there, it seems only a few people, not even everybody at the wedding knew what happened. Jesus did it specifically for his disciples. The crowd size gets a little bit bigger when, when Jesus heals the nobleman's son. And then here when Jesus heals the lame man, it appears that there are a whole lot more people. And with each one also something happens and that's, they cause a little bit more controversy. Not too much controversy when Jesus turned the water into wine. The party went on. But then as we go further and further into this book, the, the people that are paying attention and the people that are there, they begin to make a stir with each miracle that Jesus does. Did you know? notice that when Jesus performed this miracle, originally he didn't even tell the guy who he was. He just performed the miracle and went about his business. That's something that Jesus taught and the things that he taught he put into practice. In Matthew chapter 6, let's look there this morning. Matthew chapter 6. In verse 1, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds... Before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. When you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. I've been serving the Lord as a Christian minister for, for about 20 years now in full-time Christian service, whether it be at the camp or here at the church. And in that time, I've seen a lot of people do a lot of things for the Lord. And I have seen some extremes of this. I can remember times where someone would do something for the Lord, and they, they would want everybody to know that all the good things that they had done. And I can even remember one situation where someone did something for the Lord, and, and, and I thought that was wonderful. And I remember saying, thank you. 
And it wasn't anyone in this church, so don't be looking across the aisle or something. And nobody at this church, I can remember who it was, and most of you wouldn't even know this person. And said, thank you, and but, but still, that wasn't enough. Well, I gave that money, and, and I thought to myself, I'm, I'm sorry that we didn't uh, come around like with... Uh, Flowers and trumpet and everything announcing the good deed. I, I mean, it was a wonderful thing. But I, I've just been so blessed in watching people. And, and there's sometimes that I wish that I could stand up here and say, Do you know what Deacon Jim did or Trustee Bill did or uh, Pew Sitter Little Miss Louise did? And could just spell it from that. But I know that would help them lose their Matthew chapter 6. Where they're doing it for Lord. And not for men. Not to be seen or heard or known that they're doing something for, for God. But they're just doing it for the Lord. They don't want anybody to know. They're doing it for God. And that's all we need to know. I wish you could know how much, how much it's a blessing. And... That's the attitude that we need to take. When we get the opportunity to do something for somebody, just do it. And just just let God know that you did it for him. And then move on. Because where are we laying up treasures? We're laying up treasures in heaven. Right? This world's passing away. It, it's, it's time is limited. And soon and very soon, we're going to be in eternity forever. And, and I think about it. Some of you in this room might say, well, heaven could be any day now. And we might be there, there at any moment. But then there's these guys that are these young guys right here. They've got a while till they get to heaven. Let me tell you, compared to heaven, all of eternity, they're just as close as we are. Right? And they could be... and. Their time of getting to heaven, it's small compared to how long heaven's going to be. So we do things for heaven because it's worth it. And then in John chapter 4, I hope I tried to emphasize the reading a little bit as we're, as we're reading it. But in John chapter 5, as we're reading about this man being healed by the pool of Bethesda, they see this lame man walking around carrying his bed and the Jews get angry that this was done on the Sabbath day it's like they miss the fact that the guy's walking and they should be excited about it and they're like you're walking around carrying your bed on the Sabbath day how dare you do that and 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 we read that and as Christians, we read this passage of Scripture and we, we see these hypocrites, the word used right there. And we go, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a person like that. And then too often, us as Christians, we all have the danger of being a little bit hypocritical. And so we need to make sure that, that we are careful. To not join in with these guys and to say, say, 
it is not lawful for you to carry your bed on the Sabbath day. How dare you? And as you look and as you study, you'll find out that this fact is based on oral tradition. It's not biblical. There was actually oral tradition passed down that said that, yes, you are not allowed to carry your bed on the Sabbath day. And there are there are some rules and regulations that we as a church have set up that maybe are not based on the Bible. We, we as a church, we say you have if you're going to stand up front, you are supposed to wear a tie. And I've said this before. It's a rule that our church has made up, and it's a good rule. I have no problem with it. For it's fine. But is it? Will you find pastors shall if wear ties on Sundays when they stand up on the stage? Nope. Not going to find that in the Bible. It's a church rule. But right now, I see I see George Holmes. He does not have a tie. Let's say out here on the way, his way to church this morning, God did something amazing for George. (laughs) God did something amazing for George. And George came and he said, Pastor Scott, this is what God did to me this morning. I'd like to share it. I'll say, come right up here and share, George. Say, but I don't have a tie on. Doesn't say in the Bible, thou shalt wear a tie. Um, That's our standard. That's the rule that, that we as a board have made. And it's good. If we have the opportunity, that's fine. But, hey, we don't find it in the Bible. And sometimes we need to look at what the Bible says. And what the Bible says, we read it this morning. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord, your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. We need to set up by God. That we need to have a Sabbath day, a day of rest, a day set aside for the Lord. We need to be concerned about the rules that God has given to us and follow them. As a matter of fact, Jesus even alluded to this and he gave us a little bit of insight into some things that we find in the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 4. In Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 4. It says the it says this You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them You shall surely help him lift them up again And so back in the book of Deuteronomy God says to the people If you're going down the road and you hear of or see someone's donkey that has fallen in a ditch, help them out. It's your responsibility. 
And Jesus talked about that in the book of Matthew. And so in Matthew, Jesus talked about that in conjunction with the Sabbath day. And in Matthew chapter 12, in verse 11, Jesus elaborated a little bit on what God meant there and how it fit. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, in verse 11, it says, Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? So, and it says, Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. And so in this, Jesus explains, he says, you've got to take the whole counsel of God and you've got to listen to the word of God. And so you are supposed to have a day of rest, a day set aside for God. But if on God's day, a person who God loves and cares for is in a world of trouble. Make sure you help them. Make sure you take care of them. Christian, I think that the point is, is that we need to make sure that we have that Sabbath day of rest that God has set aside. And so I hope today that that is your day. And you say, God's word says I need, I need that Sabbath day of rest, a day given over and dedicated to God. And so that's important to you. But at the same time, if you're on your way to church and you see your neighbor down and dying on the side of the road, make sure you stop and help him. Get it. I can't do that. I can't be late, late for church. My deacon will get mad at me if I'm late to church. I think Jesus was really, he was trying to emphasize A point as he said all these things. That sometimes your religious traditions can make the weight of religiosity unbearable. Sometimes I look at Christians and they look so perfect. And as a young man, I, I, I this was a big thing for me. My parents would bring me to church, and and I would see a Christian, and I'd, I'd say, "They're so perfect, and I'm so not. I'll, I'll never be as good as." And I could I could probably list off the people that that I felt were just so perfect and so good, and I wasn't. And I said, "I, I don't think I can do that." And so I was drifting away from the Lord. Where a man, when a man by the name of, of Don came along and said, if you were to meet, stand before God one day, and he would just say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? I was like, I don't know. I'm not that good of a person. And then he, he really helped draw a verse and dig it deep into my heart. And it's been a verse that's never left me. It's been a verse that's been so, so important. For by grace are you saved 
through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I, I, I learned I learned a truth. Just like I have this probably unattainable standard for a young man to date my daughter. I, I understand that there might not be a lot of guys who would meet my standard for them. But that but I'm sure that there there probably is someplace out there. I'm still looking, I'm still praying. But but God's standard is so much bigger. He says, follow every command. Be without sin. I can't ever attain that. And so Jesus Christ came when I was lame. When I couldn't make it on my own. I could not achieve God's standard. And God came to me and he said, rise, take up your bed and walk. He laid down his life. He, he paid for my sins on Calvary. And he lifted me up. And he said, you can't make it on your, your own. Not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Sometimes we as Christians, we, we, make, we make the burden too big that we can't carry it. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus talked about this. In Matthew chapter 23, in verse 4, it says, For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one, thing, one of their fingers. In that same chapter, in verses 23 and 24, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Christian, I believe that it's so, so important of us to be pointing people to the Savior who has the power to forgive sins and for looking to others around us that may be having a difficult time and looking how we can share their burdens, not adding on to them. When the load is too heavy, we ought to be helping people lighten their load. When sin has people stuck in the mud, we need to go over and we need to help them carry them out of the mud and show them how destructive sin can do. God has standards in His Word. Things that we should and should not do. Let's help each other get the victory over sin. Not add things to it. There's a word that we've read and talked about a few times today. It's the word hypocrite. And the word hypocrite is derived from a Greek word of actors who wore masks to disguise their faces. 
And I ask us today, you know, are we someone who is disguising our true nature, pretending to be religious on the outside, but our heart is full of sin on the inside? We, we have this air that we are good and that we are doing right, but inside we're just as fallen as everybody else. You remember how I talked about how when I was a child I looked around and I thought, there's all these Christians who are perfect and I can't be perfect like that. And it wasn't until someone told me that it's not my perfection, it's Christ. And it's His finished work that purchases my salvation. When I got that, I accepted the Lord. And guess what? Then I wanted to do right. Then I wanted to make a change in my life. Then I wanted to say no to sin. And God began to change me from the inside out. And I'm so thankful for that. In this story, while the hypocrites are masking what they truly are on the inside and wearing a disguise on the outside, Jesus is about to reveal his true face to the world, to the Jews, and unmask their hypocrisy. He's going to make them come face to face with the truth. And next week, we're going to look at exactly how he did that and what that's going to accomplish. But Jesus starts by revealing himself to the lame man. And I know I've talked a lot about sin and, and just adding on weight to people and adding on weight to people. There's, Jesus says something very, 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 very important here to this lame man. You have been made well. Sin no more. And maybe today you're saying, I was a sinner. And I knew that my life could not measure up to God's standard. Of my own, I could not enter heaven. God knew that. And He sent His Son to make you well. To save you from your sins. And He said to you, Christian, I have made you well. Don't sin. You know, I've given you a standard in the Word of God. Read it, know it, and live it. And try to live a sin-free life. We read the Ten Commandments this morning. That was on purpose. So you could start there. Paul has some other things to say for us as Christians to live a moral life. The Bible's filled with things that we ought to do. But we need to make sure that the Bible is our standard of what's right and wrong. God's blessings should point us to Him. In here I have a couple of, of examples. I looked at Greedy Aiken and Greedy Gehazi. Men that God was doing something amazing in and around them. And rather than doing what was right and following the Lord and learning that lesson, I've made you well, I'm doing stuff around you, go and sin no more. They took the opportunity of God's blessing to go and sin. You read those stories, you can write them down, read them later. It didn't end up well for either one of those guys, Achan or Gehazi.
And in closing this morning, I'd like us to think about this passage. We read it this morning. It's our key verse for the month. We're talking about hope on Sunday nights. Where God is so good. He blesses us all the time. He's given everything so that we can live. We need to give praise and credit back to Him. We need to live different lives. We need to give Him the glory that His name is due. Guess what, Christian? You can't meet God's standard for heaven. You cannot do enough to attain it. But that's why Christ came. He came to purchase your salvation on Calvary. And now that he's doing that, and that he's purchased, and that you can live through him, you can praise him, and you have hope. Let me read Lamentations 3. I think I've read it four times this morning. Now I'm going to read it again. It says in Lamentations chapter 3, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, I thank you and I praise you for being our God. I thank you that you made us well. And Lord, I pray that as Christians, you might help us to understand that we can't meet your standard. And that it's you who paid for us to enter heaven. Lord, I pray that you might help us to take that and to go and be a blessing to others. To serve you when no one's looking. And then to do our best to live a changed life, a sin, sin-free sin life. That we might see those victories. Not because we're trying to earn heaven. Because we're trying to honor our Master, our Lord, our Savior. Lord, help us to recognize your blessings each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.